Thank you, choir and orchestra. My favorite day of the week is Sunday. I anticipate it. I pray about it. I even get down here at 6.30 on Sunday morning to make sure that my heart is prepared when we come together. Love the music. There is no choir and orchestra that does better than our choir and orchestra. They always bless my heart. I love to worship with you, the people I love more than any other people on this earth. I love the study of God's word. All of that is very important to me. And yet there's always this nagging question in the back of my mind, and it is this. Is our worship acceptable to God? Is he pleased with what we do? I'm not speaking about style. I think that style of worship is actually more important to us than it is to God. I think we focus a lot on the style of worship when God is more concerned about our hearts in worship. Jesus said, but an hour's coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. With that thought in mind, I want you to look with me at Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse number 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. The Bible tells us that God calls us to worship. God, in fact, established worship. He established the sacrificial system of the Levitical priesthood. The offerings that we see in this passage of Scripture and the chapter prior to it was the first Levitical priesthood offering that was made. So God then established our worship, and as he did so with the sacrificial system, he assigned Aaron the responsibility of offering the sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse number 7, Moses then said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. So the assignment then of offering the sacrifice was given to Aaron. There are three kinds of sacrifices in the blood atonement. First of all, there is the sin offering in chapter 9, verse number 8. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. So the sin offering that Aaron offered then was for the sins of Aaron and for the sins of the people. One commentator wrote in the sin offering, 
a portion of the blood was sprinkled before the Lord and smeared on the horns of the altar of incense. So the first offering then was the sin offering, the offering that was made for the sins of the people. The second offering was the burnt offering. In chapter 9, verse number 12, Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around on the altar. Now, the burnt offering was an offering that testified to the total dedication of the one who offered. So the burnt offering then was one that was given to say that the people were totally dedicated to God. The dictionary of the Bible says, the blood was sprinkled round about upon the altar and the entire animal was consumed on the altar it was expressive of the entire self-dedication of the offerer to Jehovah. So there are three offerings. There is the sin offering for the sins of the people. Then there is the burnt offering, which says that I am totally dedicated to God. And then there are the peace offerings. In chapter 9, verse number 18, Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around on the altar. There were three kinds of peace offerings. First of all, there was the thank offering. That was an offering for some unexpected or unmerited blessing from God. So they were expressing thanks. It would be like, you filled out your tax form and uh, you received some money back. You weren't really expecting that. At least I don't expect that when I fill out my taxes. You received some money back. And so out of gratitude to God for this unexpected, unmerited blessing, then you give a thank offering. It is a thank offering to God. The second offering is a votive offering. And that, that is an offering for a vow that has been made. So you make a vow to God, and when you pay that vow, then that is a votive offering. That, that would be similar, I, I suppose, to the pledge that many of you made when we did Project Next, when we bought the YMCA building that we are going to remodel for our student ministry and uh, so you, you made a, a pledge, you made a vow concerning that. And so you pay that vow. Well, that is a votive offering. The third offering is a free will offering. Matthew Henry wrote, probably not in gratitude for a special favor, but as an expression of irrepressible love for God. I don't think that you are different than I. There are times when I'm absolutely overwhelmed with the goodness and the love and the grace of God. How he has provided for us and protected us. Overwhelmed. So that's what this offering is. It is those times in our life, it, it, it is not a thank offering that I receive some blessing from God. It is not a votive offering in that I'm paying my vow. It is just God. I love you, and I want to give something to say that I love you. So that, that's what the thank offering is. That's what the peace offering is.
the Bible does not define worship. It uses several different words to describe worship so we'll know what it is. There is the word proskuneo, which means to pay homage or to reverence. So what is worship then? Well, worship is to revere God. That I simply reverence God. That I have a holy reverence for God because God is holy. W.B. Knight wrote, It would be as easy to grow roses on an iceberg as to create an atmosphere of worship where reverence is lacking. So what does it mean then to worship God? Well, one word we translate worship speaks of reverence, that I have reverence for God. Then there's the word sebomai, which means a feeling of awe or devotion. And that speaks of the emotions and a part of worship does involve our emotions. I love to sit up here and watch you when we sing. Some of the songs that are sung, I can tell that the Lord uses some of them to speak to your emotions, to speak to your heart. That's a part of worship. It is. Whenever your heart is touched and you, you sense that spirit of God, the emotion of it, that is a part of it. And then there's a word latruo, which means to render a religious service or homage. So Worship then is not just feeling. I know that oftentimes that's the way we understand it. I have people to go out and say, when it was an especially emotional service, sometimes they'll go and say, oh, we worship the Lord today. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe it was worship, maybe it was an emotion. Worship does involve your emotions, but there is also service that's involved. When these deacons serve as they do, that's worship. When our ushers take care of us, that's worship. When those in the nursery are taking care of our children, that's worship. So worship then also is service. And then there's Eusebio, which means to act piously. So true worship then includes action. W. Vines wrote, worship is not confined to praise. Broadly, it may be regarded as the directing acknowledgement to God of his nature, attributes, ways, and claims, whether by the outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deed done in such acknowledgement. But the thing I want you to see here is that God calls us to worship. We have been called to worship. God has established worship and he established the worship that we see here. But then look at verse number one. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. He, they offered strange fire. What does that mean, strange fire? Well, the word strange that is used there means foreign, adulterous, unauthorized. You see, here's what I believe. In worship, we give back to God that that he has given to us. We give back to God that that he has given to us. And he blesses what he gives to us. Anything else then is unauthorized. Matthew Henry said, nothing goes to God but what comes from him. They offered strange fire. So what was the sin then of Nadab and Abihu? It was presumption. 
Who was supposed to offer the sacrifice? Aaron. The Bible says in Leviticus 16, 12, then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering. But Nadab and Abihu took this to themselves. They decided that they would make the offering to God. Now, I don't know why. Maybe it was, they, well, why, is, why does Aaron get to do that? Why don't we get to do it? He's not any better than we are. What's that all about? We can make an offering just, just as effectively as he. So they presumed upon the authority of God the assignment that he had given to Aaron. Uzziah was guilty of the same presumption. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, but when he, speaking of Uzziah, became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. You know what the Bible says about it? He was struck with leprosy and he was a leper until the day he died. But the Bible says that he acted corruptly. He was presumptuous in that he took for himself a responsibility that was not his. The scripture says that they offered common fire to God. Matthew Henry wrote, instead of taking of the fire from the altar, they took common fire probably from that which the flesh of the peace offerings was boiled, and this they made use of in burning incense, not being holy fire, it is called strange fire. So in all likelihood what they did, the, the fire was supposed to come from the burnt offering, but they took it from the fire that was used to boil the flesh. And therefore, the Bible says that it was common fire. It was strange fire, unauthorized. Because of their presumption, their worship was unacceptable. And we see that they were punished. Look at the severity of it in verse number 2. And the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. They died. They died. They offered strange fire, and the Bible says that they died. That seems a little severe, does it not? I mean, why were they not struck with leprosy, as was Isaiah? Why were they not struck dumb, as was Zechariah? But no, the Bible says that they died, and they did so suddenly. There was no warning given. There was no warning shot fired. Suddenly, they died. Matthew Henry wrote, sentence is executed speedily. Presumptuous sinners bring upon themselves a swift destruction. Presumptuous sinners brings a swift destruction. The Bible says that they died before the Lord. It was not as if the God did not know what was going on. They died before the Lord. He was aware of what was happening. They died by fire in verse number 2. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. They died by fire. They offered strange fire. They died by fire. Matthew Henry wrote, Those that hate to be refined by the fire of divine grace will undoubtedly be ruined by the fire of divine wrath. They died, died suddenly before the Lord, died by fire, 
and they died childless. The scripture says in Numbers chapter 3 verse 4, but Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai and they had no children. In other words, God blotted out their name for future generations. They offer strange fire to God, unauthorized fire to God. And the Bible says that they died without children. Why was there such severity? I mean, it does seem severe to me, does it to you? Why? Why would there be such severity concerning this? I think probably it was because of contempt. They had contempt for Moses. They had contempt for the law. And they had contempt for the holiness of God. They probably had a spirit of contempt. Another reason I think that also goes along with it is because this was a new law. And I think they were going to serve as examples for future generations, warning them about the holiness of God and the kind of worship that is acceptable. They offered a strange fire before the Lord. But as we look at that, we must not overlook the blessings that come in true worship. Having said that, you and I know that at times worship presented is unacceptable to God. It certainly was here with Nadab and Abihu. Their worship was not acceptable to God. Cain and Abel, you know the story of Cain and Abel. The Bible says that Abel's offering was accepted Cain's offering was not, Genesis 4, 5, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. You probably remember the story from Genesis when both of them made an offering to God. Abel's offering was accepted, Cain's offering was not. Why is that? Well, because Abel offered an offering of blood. Cain offered an offering from his own hand. One was accepted, one was not. Saul offered worship, which was unacceptable. Saul was, King Saul was about to go to battle. He was, Samuel was supposed to come and offer a, a sacrifice to God before they went into battle. He was late getting there. And uh, Saul became impatient, so he decided, well, I can make the offering myself. And so when Samuel came, he said, it is better to obey than offer sacrifice. Hmm. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Because he did not obey the Lord, his worship was unacceptable to the Lord. God puts a premium on obedience, does he not? We are to be obedient. Sometimes we offer strange fire to God in worship. How is that? How, how, how can we offer worship to God that is considered to be strange fire. Well, I would say that attendance without worship is strange fire. Now, I'm not diminishing the importance of attendance. I believe that attendance is very important. I believe that there is the ministry of attendance. And so I, I, I think that that is something that is important. I'm, and I'm glad that you're here. But here's the thing that's more important than that. I'm glad that you're here, but it is my prayer that you worship. That you have an experience with God, that you meet with God. Folks, the truth is that you come and sit in the pew and 
Maybe you sing the songs, maybe you don't. You listen for a while and then you leave, but you have not encountered God, then that's strange fire. Attendance is not a substitute for worship. We need to be faithful in our attendance, but my prayer is that we worship God, that when you come, you meet with God, and that you leave here having been touched by God. I believe that giving without faith is strange fire. For instance, when, when we give, if in our giving we only give what we think we can afford to give or we only give what we can figure out what we can give, then there's no faith in that, correct? And the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. So when we give, and there is no faith that is involved in it. There's no faith. When we do something and there is no faith involved in it, it is impossible to please God and that becomes strange fire to God. When we serve without passion, I think that that is strange fire. Actions without love is strange fire. Jesus speaks to the churches in Asia in Revelation. It intrigues me somewhat in concerning the church in Ephesus because Jesus began by commending them. They did a lot of good things. You know, I mean, they were in church. They were faithful in their attendance. They sang in the choir. Some of them were deacons. They taught Sunday school classes. They gave to missions offerings. They did all these things that you're supposed to do. And then Jesus said, but I have something against you. I have something against you. You don't love me like you used to. You ever have that? I do. Those dry times in your life. You know, there's times whenever you feel so close to the Lord and everything is about God. And and then there are those times in your life when it seems like there are dry times. I think that the thing that is important during those times is that you remain faithful. You continue to be faithful to God. And then he restores But Jesus said, oh, you're doing a lot of good things, but you don't love me like you once did. Actions without love is strange fire. Well, how do we prevent our worship from becoming strange fire? And I want to do that, do you? I want want my worship to be real, to be in spirit and in truth. So how do we then prevent our worship from being strange fire to God? couple of things I would say. First of all, understand that God blesses what he gives. Whatever God gives, he blesses. For instance, in, in service, God has given each one of us. If you're a believer, then you have a spiritual gift. That is your gift with which you serve the Lord. You may have one, you may have more. I have some gifts and others I don't have. I've told you that before. There's some gifts that I do not have. And I, and I don't want a testimony out there about my lack of gifts, but there are some that I have and some that I do not have. Now, but here's the way that I believe the Bible teaches us. When we are serving God out of our area of giftedness, that becomes acceptable worship. And I believe that every need we have in our church, God has someone in the church who has the gift to meet that need. So God gives me a spiritual gift. I serve with that gift. 
And that is blessed of God because God blesses what he gives. And the same thing is true with money. You and I have what we have because God has been gracious to us. So out of that that God has given to me, I give the tithe back to him and others that God, the offerings that God leads me to give. But you see, here's the way I understand it. God gives to me, I'm supposed to be a river, not a reservoir. God gives to me, I give, and out of that that he has given to me, then I give back. That is blessed by God. Why? Because it came from God. Even the ministry is a call. It is a gift that comes from God. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 4, And no one takes the honor of the ministry to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Now that, that helps me personally a lot. God calls someone to ministry. He's called several in our church to ministry. He anoints them for the ministry to which he has called them and blesses them in that ministry. Now, it's actually strange that I'm a pastor. No one I grew up with expected me to be one. I did not have that testimony as a young man growing up. Rose asked me about that today. So it's a surprise that I'm a preacher to begin with. I didn't start. I tell people, they ask me, have you always been a preacher? I said, no, I used to be normal. It's strange that I'm pastor here. When I came here, I'd never been to South Carolina. Didn't know one person here. And the truth is, I wanted to go back to Texas. But when I talked to Bob Devonport on the phone, I, in my heart, I knew this is what God wants me to do. So I say that to say this. God has called me into ministry, and I have responded to the ministry, to his call. I offer that back to the Lord, and the Lord blesses it. He anoints and blesses what he calls. So the first thing is that God blesses what he gives. The second thing is God finishes what he begins. God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He always finishes what he begins. You remember the first recorded words of Jesus? You remember what they were? The first recorded words of Jesus? No, you're not that I must be about my father's business. In other words, that's his purpose. You remember his last recorded words? It is finished. This is the purpose. He came to the end. It is finished. In other words, God provides whatever is needed for every call. He provides whatever is needed for every call. And he fulfills his purpose. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude. When we presume in our worship outside God's word, it is strange fire. In worship, we give back to God that that he gave to us. That's worship. When we worship as he dictates, it is a sweet savor to God. So what is acceptable worship? I think it's doing things God's way. We do things God's way. Well, what does God say about salvation? Because I'm asked that oftentimes. He says there's one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's it. No one comes unto the Father but by me. 
There's one way of salvation, and that's when I repent of my sin. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Then I become a child of God. That's what the Bible says. One way of salvation. There's one way to acceptable service. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. For without me, you can do nothing. The Lord provides. Let me ask you a question. What's God given to you that you can give back to Him? Maybe you can sing. Well, maybe you need to be in the choir. Maybe you need to be out here in the congregation. But God has given you that ability. That should be your worship to God. You use your musical ability to God. God gave it to you. Give it back to Him. God has given you the ability to teach. Well, wonderful. Teach someone. That's worship. You give it back to God. Financially, give. If God has given you, blessed you, give back. That's acceptable worship. Compassion. Then you minister, you give that back, and that is worship. See, here's the thing. Worship is giving back to God that that he has given to me. And that is acceptable because it came from God. Well, how's your worship? I love to join together in the worship service, but it's my prayer that we worship. How's your worship? Our gracious Father and God, we thank you that you are worthy of worship, that you have called us to worship, and that we simply give back to you that that you've given to us. Lord, I pray for this time of invitation for those who have never trusted Christ that today they might, committing their lives to Jesus. I pray, Father, for those who looking for church home that they would feel drawn here. Bless them. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Just in a moment, our choir is going to sing an invitation. If you're here without Christ, it's our prayer that you'd come commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.